0: Today's scripture is from Hebrews 11:32 through 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment, They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'm a history buff and a news guy. I watch a lot of news. I read a lot of news. I'm fascinated by history, historical events, especially when they're happening right before me. So Yesterday, I was watching uh, uh, the funeral of uh, Senator John McCain, who passed away, and listening to news commentary on that, and as I was watching at the end, uh, the commentator came on, and she was talking about the event, and um, she had some people who were also on TV with her talking about the event, and it was a split screen, right, so... One box on the left is a commentator. The box on the right is the interviewee. And, and the one on the right, it was like they were only half there. I don't mean mentally. I mean, it was like half of the face would be showing up. And sometimes they'd come in just a little bit, and then it was almost like they were only half there. And, and sometimes they were talking. It was like there was a voice coming out of the TV that wasn't on the TV. And I thought, something's wrong here. I mean, that cameraman is pretty bad. He needs to zoom back a little bit. I mean, there's an issue. And then I thought to the, uh, myself, well, maybe the issue is me. Maybe it's my TV. Now, those of you who know me at all know that I'm so far behind in terms of technology, I don't even know how to use the remote very well, right? If you're in the office and anything comes out that has any level of feel, uh technological sophistication, you can be sure it didn't come from me. I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook. I don't do, what's that thing called, Snapchat. I don't don't even know what they are. I just hear about them. It's horrible, I know. I'm behind. However, when I saw the screen, I thought to myself, I wonder if it's my TV. So, I, I looked at the remote and all these buttons that I only understand the on and off switch, the mute, and the numbers, you know, so you can type in the number you want. And I saw at the bottom there was this row of letters, A, B, C, and D. And I thought, hmm, well, that's interesting. Maybe one of those could help me. So, I started pushing on those letters to see if there was anything that indicated that I could fix my TV, and I couldn't see anything, and I was getting frustrated. So, I started back at the beginning, and I hit the A button again. And then I saw up in the corner A little message that said reset this might solve your problem It's like it was the voice of God talking right to me right so I said well I'll try that so I pushed the middle button you know the one that activates everything while I was on that section and and sure enough the TV starts changing and and there's a message that comes up and says this may take a few minutes and I, I thought well that's okay I'm a patient guy not And um, so I'm waiting and I'm still wondering what they're saying because the TV picture goes blank and basically there's this little stupid wheel going around, you know, and it's waiting and waiting and waiting. And so at about four minutes and 33 seconds, see, I'm patient, um, it it came back on. When it came back on, it was perfect. The split screen was right in the middle, commentator on the left the person who's being interviewed on the right. Well, isn't that interesting? It, it was the same TV. It was the same channel. It was the same Xfinity that I pay for every month. But it just needed a reset. Here's my suggestion. In order to fly right side up, or to live right side up? Sometimes we need to hit a reset button. And frequently, we think of flying right side up or living right side up as living different than the world, right? The world has a certain way of thinking about life, and we need to think differently, and that's true. But I I, want to say something different this morning. I'm not talking about the world, I'm not talking about people who don't believe. I'm not talking about people who you think might be getting it wrong. This morning I'm talking about you and me. When I say that we who believe sometimes need to hit the reset button. Let me tell you something else about the TV. If the news commentator had known what was happening to my TV, she might have been a little uncomfortable because my TV was zooming in on her face in a big way. And everybody's got blemishes. And I've seen her before, but I didn't see those blemishes. She probably wouldn't have been happy. What was going on? was what we often call myopic vision, right? Just zoned in on one thing. And I needed to reset it. So what what are you talking about, Bob? I'm talking about how we can zone in on one thing. Which is absolutely true and beautiful. And it can get us off track. And sometimes we need to reset. What's the one thing? A personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, here he goes. He's going over the edge. You say, what's wrong with that? Not a thing, it's beautiful. Or how about the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Absolutely true. I'm targeting that one too. I'm targeting what I would say was my heritage, which is all about a personal relationship with Jesus, which I hope people have. As a matter of fact, I pray daily for certain people that they will really come to know Jesus. Not that they will just believe and go to church, and I have a face right now in mind that I pray for every day, that this person will really come to understand what a personal relationship with Jesus is like. I pray that way, but, but, sometimes, even that glorious truth can make me myopic. Oh, by the way, it's not just phrases like a personal relationship with Jesus, which, by the way, is nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's not true. But words of the Scripture, like Emmanuel, God with us. Like Paul's statement to the Ephesians, you, you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined you to be adopted as His sons. That's very personal. And it's all true. And when Jesus was on this earth, he was very personal. He touched people. He invited them into his personal presence. He asked them, follow me. Will you? Very personal. But here's the thing, my friends. That deep, beautiful truth can eclipse another truth if we're not careful. What's the other truth? Jesus invited us into personal relationship with him so that we could be part of the kingdom of God. In other words, the story is not all about us. It's bigger than us. The story is not just about our personal relationship with Jesus, which is beautifully true. It's bigger than that. I go back to my favorite passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. That God chose you before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in His sight and love. He predestined you to be adopted as His children. Preposition for the praise of His glorious grace. He adopted you to be his child, to enfold you into his arms for the purpose of being part of a larger story, for the purpose of proclaiming his grace. The story is so much bigger than you and me. It's all over the Bible, from the beginning to the end. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of humanity. It's beautiful. It's personal. God walks with them in the cool of the garden, but you know what's all around them? What's all around them is a gigantic, astronomical, out of control, beautiful nature around them. Which God created. They are microscopic compared to the rest of creation. They are special compared to the rest of creation. But they're only a part of the story. As wonderful as that part is, their part in the story is to proclaim God to the nations. You say, well, I don't see that in Genesis chapter one through three. It develops. It emerges into the story of Abraham. Because Abraham was not just one with God. Abraham didn't just have a personal relationship with God. Abraham had a relationship with God for the purpose of blessing the whole world. And that story continues throughout the scripture. And by the time you get to Jesus, he unfolds a grander view of that beautiful story. He says, come. Follow me. That's very personal. You have to make a decision. And you need to fall in love with Jesus. But he says, Come follow me and be part of the kingdom of God. Enter into a a place which is parallel to time and space that's eternal. I want you to step into that. The kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not just about your personal salvation. The kingdom of God is about you entering a realm that is so much bigger than your story, and you, in effect, when you enter it, are telling the bigness of that story. It not only is the Gospels, it continues in the epistles, and then we see it actually in Hebrews. Hebrews. See, this church that the writer was writing to was no doubt under the heavy hand of Roman persecution. They didn't know which way was up. They were doing their best to live right side up. They were doing their best to live according to God's commands. They were doing their best to believe in Jesus. And they were discouraged. And some of them were persecuted to the point of death. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you are so special, let me tell you, About how special you are. You know, I'm twisting the story, right? That's not what he did. He said, You're a part of a story. Let me tell you about that story and how that story of the law and the prophets and the temple. And the priest, let me tell you how that's all connected to Jesus. And let me remind you that you are connected to Jesus. Let me remind you. You're part of a story that's bigger than you and bigger than life itself. Come on in, my friends. Believe it again. You know how the Bible ends? In Revelation. How does it end? It ends with all the saints of all the ages gathered around the throne of God. And saint worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power and wisdom and strength. Do you ever read that passage and think to yourself... Oh my, my face could be in the crowd. You've been invited into a story. And you know what happens when we adopt that reality? A lot of things, but let me say four. One, when you adopt that reality, it guards you against self-centeredness. It guards you against believing that it's all about you. It guards you against believing that it's a relationship with just you and Jesus and nobody else. It guards you against a biopic view of the world. It guards you against selfishness, which is your biggest problem and mine. That's what it guards you against. And it tells you that if you're a part of this story and the story is so grand and so much bigger than you, the way to contribute to this story is to serve. Think about the Beatitudes, think about the Sermon on the Mount, think about Galatians, think about the epistles of the Ephesians, and the one in Philippians, that beautiful passage in chapter 2. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any love or joy, then be like-minded. If you're a part of this story, I want you to enter into the story like Jesus did. I want to remind you what a servant he was. I want to remind you that he made himself nothing. That he emptied himself. And being found in appearance like a man, he humbled himself even to death, death on the cross, wait, God and Jesus Christ, that passage says, made himself obedient? I'm not making this up. Obedient to death? What is that all about? God can't die Now you're thinking like a first century believer who's confused. Why could Jesus die on the cross? He became obedient unto death. Why become obedient unto death? For one reason. So you could become a part of his story. So that you could inherit resurrection life. That's why he became obedient to death. He loves you that much. And that's so powerfully personal. But he did it so you could enter a story. A story about God. And how do you live out that story? Like he did, serving others. So entering into this bigger story, it guards me against selfishness, no doubt about it. There's something else it does. It actually protects me from error, because I'm very susceptible to error. I make lots of mistakes, and I don't mean sin, though I do that. I mean, I make lots of mistakes trying to figure out what the nature of God is about. I make lots of mistakes as I follow Jesus. I make lots of mistakes, miscalculations, misinterpretations of the truth of Scripture. I do that, my friends. I've been trained in this thing for a long time, and I still do it. But being a part of that story, not being the story, realizing that the story is about God in humanity, not just God in me. Realizing that and being in a community of faith allows me the grace of not walking into my own personal error. By the way, I, I get feedback from you, you know that, right? That's just part of what happens. And uh, sometimes it's negative feedback. Sometimes it's direct criticism of what I've said on Sunday morning. And I wanna tell you something. I appreciate it, I really do. I think when I was younger I didn't so much, (laughs) but what I want to say is keep it coming. Because I need your voice. I'm walking with you as a fellow traveler. And sometimes I might even be able to say the right thing in the wrong way. And sometimes I might just be saying the wrong thing. And I need the correction. I tell you that to suggest that you ought to be that way with the person who's sitting next to you or behind you or way over there. You need to allow them to speak into your life in such a way that your error, which is personal, can be corrected. There's another way it guards me against error when I realize that I'm part of the story but not the story. I'm guarded against error because I step into this long history of Christianity These people who are faithful followers of Christ and brilliant minds, and they help me to understand what it really means for Jesus to be God in the flesh. We sang, actually, the Apostles' Creed. Did you know that? That was the Apostles' Creed in music. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. That's just the beginning of the truth in the Apostles' Creed, the Trinitarian reality of the person of Jesus Christ, the person of God the Father, the person of the Holy Spirit, united as one. Some of our songwriters have done wonderful jobs of repeating it in other ways. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I could go on and on about the doctrinal standards, you might call them, and people sometimes get bored with them, and the statements and the creeds, but the creeds are profoundly important. They put a guardrail around my thinking. They help me not to go over the edge. Of course, the Scripture does that as well, and community does it too. There's a third thing that is wonderful when I realize it's not about me and my story, it's about a larger story. When I embrace that reality, it imparts a collective wisdom to me. Not, not just keeps me from error, but gives me insight. You know, all of Scripture does that. Scripture, so much of Scripture, most of Scripture, is stories. It's stories of people. And in Hebrews chapter 11, you heard those stories, some of those stories of people who had followed God faithfully and died for their faith. And by the way, if you're looking at those stories very carefully, you're going to notice that some of them you don't recognize. It's because they're not in the Bible. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews knew some stories And he says, I want to tell you about the saints. I want you to realize the story's not all about you. It's about them too. And together with them, we are made perfect. But only in community is this a reality. Only when you place yourself within the story. Something really practical about church I want to challenge you in. I love it when you show up on Sunday morning. I love preaching, and I would love it if there was a thousand people here every Sunday morning. But I would really be disappointed if all of you just came for the sermon and the songs. Because true community shapes us. And you know one of the ways it shapes us? It shapes us when we share our stories. If you've never been a part of an adult community group, it's what sometimes is called Sunday school. In those classes, many times, they'll begin and people will share the stories. They'll tell you about life. If you're not a part of an adult community group, maybe you should be a part of a small group where people share their stories. Maybe you should be a part of a men's group or a women's group or something that allows you to be in close proximity with other people who are faithful followers of Christ and listen to their story, especially when their stories annoy you. You wanna grow? Find a place that makes you uncomfortable. Sit down, don't leave, and listen to their story. You know what it'll be? It'll be a story of mistakes and sin. It'll be a story of joy and triumph. It'll be a story of all kinds of tragedy. It'll be a story about walking It will be their story in the bigger story of God's grace. And in that place, you will hear God's voice. If you're open and you listen to their story and listen for the voice of the Spirit because God speaks that way in community together. Uh, The final thing is when we adopt this perspective of it not being just our story, but we're entering into a larger story, it gives us an eternal purpose. That's why I'm so passionate about missions at ECC. That's why I visit our missionaries. Every time I do, I come home just overwhelmed by grace. If somebody's doing something that I can't do, they're in places that I'll never live. They're sharing the good news with people I'll never know. And you know why they're doing that? Because you and I have made a contribution so they can. That's what's so powerful about ascending church like ours, a missions-oriented church like ours. We're investing in the story. You know, you can invest in financial gain, whether it's the stock market or real estate or whatever it is, and you might get some gain out of it, or you might suffer a tragic loss. You know what? If you invest... And this eternal story, you cannot lose. It's impossible. Because it's God's story. You're connecting with eternity. You're planting seed that will not return void. Wow. Talk about getting me beyond myself. That's why I love missions. That's why I love teaching. That's why I love teachers. (laughs) A married one. So let me just say this thank you for teaching. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a professional teacher, thank you for teaching. Whether you're a parent, a father or mother, thank you for teaching. Why? Because when you do, stand in the shoes of Jesus. He went around touching people and teaching about the kingdom of God. When you step into his shoes, your teaching is eternal. When you invest in those children that God has given to you, you're investing in eternity. And when you're done teaching them and they move on and it seems like they've walked away from what you've given them, have faith, keep praying, because God's word cannot die It's going to return. You just keep praying because you did what Jesus called you to do stand in his shoes and teach. I end with a story a story about a young monk who was in a monastery and being taught by St. Francis. on one occasion, the the young monk uh, was identified by St. Francis, and he just looked at the young monk, and he said, "Um, I want to invite you to go to the city to preach with me. Oh my goodness, this young monk was just amazed that he was able to do this, and he just, with delight, he followed St. Francis into the town. And they walked through the town, and Slowly, street by street, street by street, street by street, all through the town. And then they started out of the town. And the young monk was confused. He said, But, Father, um, we came to this town to preach, and we haven't preached. When are we going to preach? And St. Francis uttered these words He says, It's no use, my son to walk anywhere unless we preach everywhere we walk so I, I want to remind you of something if you've entered into God's story you're a preacher of the good news when you walk out of this place into your office or your home or your classroom or wherever you go the eternal reality of the presence of Jesus Christ is with you and you preach while you walk God bless you let's pray Lord, we thank you for counting us who are unworthy to be worthy. It's an irony. It's it's a paradox to understand that both are true. No, we're not worthy, but you counted us worthy by calling us and redeeming us and, and allowing us to be part of a story that's bigger than ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. We are truly humbled. We also know, Lord, that in that calling, You give us the opportunity to fail. And we do over and over again, and we misrepresent who You are, and we walk into error, but we have community, we have the Scripture, we have those around us who can help and instruct us and lift us up and encourage us. So we pray, Lord, that today... Through these words, your people, yeah, your people, your chosen ones, will be encouraged to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and will be encouraged to stop thinking about themselves long enough to serve others. And to stop worrying about our own shortcomings so that we can actually have time to serve. You're a good God, full of grace and mercy, and we thank you for those gifts. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.